Make me have tears in my eyes, Steve will. He'll have me crying like him soon. Nice. Thank you, Steve. That's so kind. Why don't we stand? We, we believe when we hear the word that it's an active thing. Um, it's not just me that's active, but it's you that's active as well. Active in receiving, active in drawing out all the goodness of what is shared this morning and saying, I want some of that. I want some of what is preached this morning to invade my heart and bring change and transformation. You up for that? Thanks, Iris. I always know I can rely on you. Are we ready for that? Yeah? Brilliant. Why don't we just pray? Raise our hands. It's sort of just a a pose where we say, Lord, I'm hungry for you. Lord, I pray would you come and meet with us today, this morning. Would you come and meet with us this morning? We are thirsty and hungry for your living word to invade our hearts and minds and bring change and transformation. Lord, when we're we're feeling weary and burdened, would you lift those burdens and would we encounter your grace afresh? Where we're filled with apathy, would you challenge it and break it off, I ask? Would you come and have your way, we pray. Please enable me to communicate effectively, I pray. Amen. Why don't we take our seats? I just want to say thank you, church. You are, just to really put my thanks on top of Steve's, to say you're, you're an outstandingly generous family, church, um, and it's an absolute joy for myself, Steve and San, to have the privilege of serving you um, as elders. We absolutely, we absolutely love it. This morning when you came in, um, you should have picked up, or hopefully you were handed one of these. It's just a little vision brochure, tells you a little bit about what we're going to be focusing on over the next two to three um, years, or some of what we'll be focusing on over that time. Over the last two weeks, we've been focusing on making disciples. Um, This morning, the plan is we're going to be looking at going on mission. And caring for the poor is something we're going to pick up in in the next few weeks when we get the the appropriate uh, opportunity. In some ways, what we feel is just as we planned, we prepared, we gave, we employed architects, we, we invested so much time and energy and effort in in getting this building transformed, we want to give the same amount of time and attention and intentionality as we look at the DNA of our church in making sure what's on the inside is right. So as Steve shared, as we look to plant out, as we look to go again in mission, which is what's in our heart, what we plant out has got the right DNA. That the DNA is a disciple-making DNA. That the DNA is a going-on-mission DNA. That the DNA within us is a caring for the poor DNA. That we are a community of people that are courageous and joyful and authentic. That we honour one another and we honour people that are different from ourselves. That we are overflowing in generosity. Yes, yes, we finance and we've looked at that a little bit this morning. But but more than that, generosity in, in our time and in our emotional energy and how we care for people. We want to make sure that our DNA is good. Because we want to plant out something that's healthy, that's got life in it, that can transform the communities around us. So this morning we're going to be looking at the whole subject of going on mission. And I must admit, I've found it really provoking. Um, I've I've found it so very, very challenging. Um, If you've got your Bible, why don't you turn to Luke chapter 10 verses 1 to 20. 
The good, the good, um, I've got some good news and bad news. The good news is I've only got one main point. Is that good? I'm talking about going on mission. The bad news is I've got nine sub points. (laughs) And we'll see how we go. Of course, you could have disagreed with me and said, oh, wonderful, we've got a nine-point sermon from Paul. But that's all right, I'm I'm secure-ish. So it's Luke chapter 10, we're going to read most of the verses, up to 20, I think. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, um, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if the son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the labourer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick, sorry, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe it off against you. Nevertheless, know this that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of Sodom than for that town. Then we're going to move down to verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Wonderful, a wonderful, wonderful passage. We went out um, on the streets um, yesterday, about 24 of us. Um, If I'm totally honest, I spent the 24 hours before going out nervous and uh, agitated because it's not something that I find easy to do. And I think talking to other people who went out, they they felt pretty much the same, um, right on the edge of things. But it was wonderful to hear just some of the stories um, that came back. Um, Jane Taylor and Paul Marriott, they went out sort of two by two, and uh, they went out and they met this lady, and Jane just said, "Um, could I I just uh, talk to you about Jesus? And uh, she said said to Jane, no, I don't want to talk to anyone about religion religion and walked off in the other direction Um, but then she came back a few moments later with tears in her eyes and said I've got cancer will you please pray for me and Jeanette, Joe and Andrew um, they, they felt they just wanted to push it a little bit so they approached a group of 12 teenagers about a dozen teenagers on the streets and just started talking to them before they knew it there was about 30 teenagers round about them they had the opportunity to pray for about 8 of them 
um, and just to talk to them about Jesus. Some of them mocked, but some of them had very, very open hearts. Jeanette prayed for one who had a, a real pain in his neck, um, about five out of ten on the sort of pain scale. After Jeanette had prayed, it was down to two out of ten, which was really, really cool. And um, uh, the other, his friends were saying, oh, you're just saying it. You weren't really healed. Were you? And they said, it's better. No, it's better than it was. It really was. And it's just incredible that when we put ourselves out there, and I think, I think most of us were nervous, other than Samuel and Barbara Roloff, because they're just amazing. Um, but, but most of us were nervous. Um, it's amazing what God can do through us. I, um, myself and Natalie, we approached... Um, this is nothing about... I've got nothing against old ladies, but... <laughs> Iris, you're not old. Um, We we approached three old ladies, and as we approached them, we thought we were definitely getting a vibe. This was not a good move. But once you're sort of going in there to talk to them, you can't back out, can you? It's just uh, the wrong thing. So I said, "Could could we just have 30 seconds of your time to ask you one question? And I had a very firm response. Yes, one question is what you have got. And, and the question we asked is, if, if, uh, if God could do one miracle in your life, what would it be? Um, and before the sentence had even finished coming out of my mouth, she said, I was asking my priest something along very similar lines earlier, just a week ago, and I do not want to talk to you about it now. And it's like, okay, that's fine. Well, thank you for allowing us to ask your one question. But as we turn to walk away... We heard them say, anyway, let me tell you about what my priest said. And although although we didn't get a chance to talk to them about that particular thing, it was wonderful to hear as we walked away that these three mature ladies then branched into this whole conversation about God and what he could do in someone's life. And so it's certainly not that everything you do and everything we try works. It's not. You get loads of knockbacks. But you hear these stories of God breaking out, which is absolutely wonderful. So I've got nine points in 19 minutes, which basically means I've got two, two minutes a point, and I can have one point that's three minutes long, okay? So we'll see how we go. First one. First thing I noticed from verse one here is there's mission and there's commission. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and he sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Earlier, he'd sent out the 12. Now, he's sending out the 72. There's a commissioning taking place. I'm sending you out. I'm giving you the power and the authority that you need to represent me. That's, that's what commissioning is. You have both the power and the authority to go out. He sent them out. He propelled them, as it were, into the surrounding countryside. Actually, it wasn't in a random way. It was with purpose. He said, I want you to go out everywhere I'm going to go. So it wasn't just go where you want. Jesus knew the towns and villages he was going to go into, and he sent them out two by two to prepare the ground. Mission is at the heart of the calling of the first disciples. When he first approached Peter and John, he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. It's at the very heart of the calling to follow Jesus. In actual fact, if you wanted to be with Jesus, it would have meant going on mission. 
You couldn't have followed Jesus and not been on mission. The two, the two go hand in hand. We've, we've managed to separate it a little bit now, that we're Christians, but we're not all on mission. We've not all heard the commission. We've not all heard and decided we're going, because sometimes, I, I, yeah, anyway. To have been with Jesus would have meant to have been on mission. Just as they were commissioned, every disciple has been commissioned to take the kingdom of God out. We as a church have been commissioned to take out his rule and reign. And I know from personal experience it is so easy to hide behind apathy and fear and busyness when we may be the only Christians that are working into that particular group of people. You have been commissioned. You have been given responsibility, authority and power to see the kingdom extended. Missionaries aren't just those people to go to other countries to tell people about Jesus. Missionaries are every Christian that's following Jesus because it's at the heart of the call to be a disciple. Mission and commission, second one in verse 2. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. I find here mission and prayer. Mission and prayer. As you go, pray. Don't just go and don't just pray, but go and pray. It was the disciples who were to pray as they went. What for? For more workers in the harvest field. They weren't to pray for power. They weren't to pray for authority. They already had those things. They were to pray for more workers for the harvest field. In a funny way, they were answers to their own prayer. I wonder if sometimes, church, and I can do it too, I pray for things that I'm supposed to be doing. It sort of eases my conscience a little bit. Makes me feel a little bit better about life. I'm going to pray, Lord God, would you save Hastings, but I'm not going to leave this building. Lord God, would you save Hastings, but I'm not going to open my mouth in the workplace. I I think probably, I think probably the two come hand in hand. And please hear me, guys. You know, because I've been fairly honest about this whole subject over the last few months, I've I've not arrived I'm a million miles from arrival, but I feel so provoked by what's just clearly down here in Scripture. In the Bible, we find prayer and mission are linked in different ways. Um, In Acts 4.29, they're to pray for boldness to witness. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They, They pray for an open door for the message in Colossians 4 verse 3. Um, We are to pray. Church, we're to be a praying church. James O. Fraser, who was this amazing missionary um, out in China uh, about 100 years ago. I just want to read this out to you. James O. Fraser, after eight years of serving as a missionary, he said this. The outlook here at Tansar at present seems less hopeful than at any time since I first set foot in this place. So he's been there for eight years. I'm now setting my face like flint. If the work seems to fail, 
then pray. If services, etc. fall flat, then pray still more. If months slip by with little or no result, then pray still more and get others to help you. He said that he used to think that prayer was the most important thing and preaching was the second most important thing. But after a number of years, he came to the conclusion that he'd got it wrong. That prayer was the first, second and third most important things and preaching came down in fourth place. Church, we need to learn how to pray. Prayer and mission go hand in hand. Third thing I noticed from this passage in verse 3, Luke 10 verse 3, it says, Go your way, behold, I am sending you out as lamb in the midst of wolves. Third thing we see is mission and persecution. Well, I think we just found the small print. There is a reason we don't want to go. It's scary. However, Jesus is sending us out. Even at the start of that verse, go your way, behold, I am sending you. The great shepherd is sending us out. And he uses an interesting illustration to highlight what it's going to be like. He said, I'm going to send you as a lamb into the midst of a pack of wolves. Sound attractive to any of you? Any of you? Let's sign up for mission now. Pop your hand up if anyone wants to go out. (laughs) Not even a jolly sheep, a lamb. Not just one wolf, a pack of wolves. It's wonderful, though, that the person that sends the lamb out is a shepherd. The great shepherd. The one who sends us out to make a difference, to step out in faith, to go out like a lamb among wolves, is the great shepherd who protects the sheep, lays his life down for the sheep. I think, yeah. When we go out on mission, it's not easy. At times we feel vulnerable, it's difficult, we can feel silly, stupid at times. How I think a group of us felt yesterday when we went out. Um, I mean, we've got it easy in comparison to many parts of the world, but, but it's still hard. It's not easy or comfortable to follow Jesus, but Jesus never said it would be. Never said that the, there is no cost, just, just go out if it feels like it. He says, no, I'm sending you like sheep among wolves. For me, my biggest hindrance is a fear of rejection, mockery. I don't want to be the odd one out. I don't know, how about you? But as we move on to verse 4, he says this, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. That's good because I don't like sandals. And greet no one on the road. What I find is there's mission and reliance. Although we're going out like a lamb among wolves... They went out totally reliant on their father who would provide all they need. Although there's a strategy as they go out, they go out knowing 
that not only do they need God to confirm the message in signs and wonders and miracles, but they also they, they need they also need Him to provide everything they need on a daily basis. Totally reliant on their Father for everything. I think I think the fact we feel out of our depth, the fact that it feels uncomfortable, the fact that it feels difficult isn't an excuse for not doing it, if I can be so bold. I, I don't think it is. I don't think you read... Uh, what we're promised is, as we step out, Jesus, the good shepherd, will look after us. And what provoked me last night as I was wrestling with this is I think there's a danger as a church. We've become a pastoral community where for us being a Christian predominantly rotates around me getting my felt needs met and encountering God without really feeling any, any challenge for the 80,000 people in our town that don't know Jesus. And if they don't come to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, the Bible says they're going to hell. That's what the Bible clearly teaches the people in your workplaces, you are the missionary there. It's, it's provoking. I don't quite know what to do with it because I don't think I do very well with it, if I'm honest. I think when we go out on mission, when we give money, if I'm honest, they're the sorts of times when I really feel on the edge. I'm just being honest. I'm a bloke. You know, I like my wallet. When I step out and give beyond my means, I'm, wow, I'm really relying on you, Jesus. When I go out on mi- mission and I think there's a whole load of people, you like me, well, most of you do. You like me, most of you are cheering me on, you're hoping that I do well. When I go into town, I'm just interrupting people's lives if I talk to them or in the workplace they don't care for me like you do. Well, they do actually because I'm working for the church, but you know what I mean. Fifthly, um, I know this is a bit random. I hope there's some stuff in here that, that the Holy Spirit can take and make live in your hearts. Fifthly, mission and lifestyle. Luke 10, verse 7. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the labourer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. It's interesting that Jesus is really interested in the practical and the mundane, as well as the message. These verses are about accommodation, food, how we treat people in what seems to be very mundane and normal. He says, don't go from house to house. Don't move around. Eat what's provided for you. Eat what's set before you. I think our lifestyle and our normal interactions with people has a massive effect on whether, whether the people are open to the message that we've got or not. You see, if you turn up in a town... You go to someone's house, they feed you and they give you a bed for the night and then the next day, someone with a nicer house and with nicer food invites you to spend the rest of the week with them. That, that doesn't say something good about the gospel. So he says, no, stay where you are. We have got a message that is absolutely life-changing. But when we gossip, when we do our jobs badly when we're lazy or argumentative, when we're just difficult in the workplace, it closes people to the message. 
You know, we spoke last week a lot about things like honour and joy and generosity because they communicate so much, not just to one another, but, but to those outside church too. Think about it just for a moment, if I can ask you to. For those who never go to church, never read the Bible, what they see in the media is only negative about God, where do they go to find out about the God that we worship? What do they look at to see whether it is true or whether it is false? Does the Christian God, is he worth following or is he just a bit of a waste of time? What is it that they look, look at? They look at us. They look at you. Every word, every kind deed, every patient endurance is, is painting a picture of good, the goodness of God. Each act or word is a brushstroke revealing the Father's love, holiness, patience, joy. You might only do one brushstroke every couple of weeks for someone. But every kind word, every action, every patient endurance, when you should get really wound up because that's what everyone else would do, but you don't, speaks of a God who is good and loving and kind, who has changed your life, who's changed my life. Our everyday lives paint a picture, whether you like it or not, that people are looking at. Sixthly, the mission and the message. Heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. I mean, the gospel has got so many facets to it. It's got deliverance and salvation. It's got righteousness and justice. It's got peace. It's got joy. It's got God's presence as spirit. It's got healing. It's got comfort. Sometimes it's right just to explain the message about Jesus Christ and what he's done. You know, other times it's just right to comfort people when they mourn. What we need to know is just what to do when. Romans 1.16, I was reminded of this by Emma Hamberis yesterday. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. I was talking to Steve Barnes a few months ago, and he loves to tell people about Jesus, particularly in the workplace. He, he just... He, Steve should probably be doing this and not me anyway. He thrives on it. He says, because, because what we have is true. It's true. It is the truth. It is life-changing. It, it, has, it has power. Whether people accept or not, it, it, it has the potential to change lives if people accept it. So I just tell them. Number seven, mission and disappointment. It says in verses 10, uh, verses 10 and 11, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Even Jesus-trained missionaries faced disappointment. The message doesn't always bear fruit. 
Not everyone is open to the messages. There would be towns, villages and individuals that hear the gospel, that see a demonstration of the kingdom, but will still want nothing to do with it. Our response is to pick ourselves up, brush the residue of disappointment off and go again. But what I love is that sentence in verse 11. But nevertheless, know this. Even even if people don't respond, nevertheless, know this. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Because we we carry the kingdom of God. So whether people respond positively or negatively, whether they accept or whether they mock, know this. The kingdom of God came near to them because we carry the kingdom. Jesus said that. He said it to his disciples. Be encouraged. It came near. We can do this well or we can do it badly. (laughs) Sometimes we do it well and it's fruitless. Or at least on the surface it seems to be. Other times we do it badly and it seems to be fruitful. All this keeps us reliant on God, keeps us worshipping him, and aware in the fact that we aren't the major player, but he is. He can, make, he can take our worst efforts and turn them into glorious, amazing goodness. Or he can take our best efforts and nothing happens. God makes the seed grow. Mission and success... The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The gospel bears fruit 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. We're part of an ever-increasing kingdom. Even if we don't see the immediate results, we're part of a kingdom that's getting bigger and bigger until the glory of the Lord covers the sea, covers... As the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. That is what we are part of. That is what underpins our efforts and our faith as we keep going on. I want to encourage us to step out expecting a gospel fruit. And then the last point, mission and salvation. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Although this is all wonderful, what keeps us rejoicing is that we have been saved. Although healing and deliverance are spectacular and I'd love us to see more and more of it, the most important thing is that men and women find peace with God through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And when we do see loads of fruit, We rejoice in our salvation. And when we don't see anything at all, we rejoice in our salvation. I want to finish by um, closing with this. And it's what I said at one of my points earlier, just to take away. When we stand just where we are, got five minutes till I close
if, if the people in your world aren't reading the Bible, attending church, or hearing anything good about God in the media, how will they ever find out about Jesus? If you'd been there on the seashore in Galilee, mending your nets in the boat, when Jesus walked by and he said, come follow me. If you'd asked, what will I be doing? He says, I'm going to make you into fishers of men. You're going to be catching men and women for me. To have been a follower of Jesus would have meant to have been on mission with him. You cannot separate the two. You and me are the only way that vast swathes of people are going to find out about a God who loves them and cares for them. Our everyday lives painting a picture of God's love, strength, power, wisdom, patience, compassion, holiness and kindness. Sometimes it will take you years to paint that picture and on occasion just a few brush strokes separated by a few days apart can have the same result. But it's God who makes the seed grow. For you, Hannah Beanie, Jesus grabs hold of you and he says, go and make disciples at St. Paul's school. For you, Kevin Burford, I've called you to a great task of painting a picture of my faithfulness, love and compassion to those you work with at Barclays. John Harris, as you go to London... You are called to demonstrate something of God's amazing love and goodness for those you encounter. I call you as missionaries to your communities. You've been called, you've been commissioned to go with the authority and power that Jesus Christ gives you. It says in Luke 10, verse 16, the one who hears you, hears me. This is Jesus speaking. The one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. We have incredible responsibility. This is a prayer I prayed and earlier in the week for myself, and I've prayed it a few times since. I'd like you to join me in it, church, if you'd like to. Father, please make me a more effective witness of who you are and all you've done. Please forgive me for the fear that's held me back, the apathy in my own heart, 
the busyness that's kept me occupied with less important things. Father, please give me the boldness to take every opportunity. Words when my wisdom dry up. Gifts of healing and deliverance. And faith to stay in step with you. Amen. Amen, church. I just want to pray right now for a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. I pray this with great confidence, knowing that one of the main reasons, Holy Spirit, you came was to give us power to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray we'd sense your power now, but I pray we'd sense it much more when we're out in the community. Fill us, refresh us, empower us. We ask that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. And as a church, we said, Amen. Outstanding. Such a, such a good church. Love you guys so much. I, I just want to encourage you to be bold. Take some risks. Put yourself in some uncomfortable positions. Have a great week, and I'll see you soon.